Uh, and once again, a very good morning uh, to those who are here. Uh, lovely to see you. And a very good morning to those who are at home. Thank you for joining us. Uh, please could you have your Bibles open at Matthew chapter 8 or your app on your phone or your order of service. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 8. Uh, we're looking at verses 14 to 17. Let me lead us in prayer. Father, thank you that you speak to us uh, by your Spirit through your Word. Uh, we thank you that you have gathered us together around this Word. And we pray that you speak to us, that you help us to see Jesus, uh, help us to love him and serve him. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There are many of us who are going through illness or disability, or we know someone who is. Should we ask God for healing? Should we expect all Christians to be healed? And if so, when will it happen? Today or tomorrow? And if not today, why does Matthew keep telling us about these healing miracles of Jesus? Why are they here? And what is God saying to us through them for today? Well, as you know, we've started a series in Matthew's Gospel, looking at, chapter, looking at chapters 8 and 9. This is an action section of the Gospel that's nestled between two blocks of Matthew's five blocks of teaching uh, that uh, he reports about from, from Jesus' teaching. And within this section, there are three groups of three miracles, with some material about following Jesus in between each group. And today's passage contains the third miracle of that first group, and then a summary of many more, and an explanation for the miracles that we have seen. Now, Matthew lays things out this way for a purpose. There are things that he wants us to see about who Jesus is and how we should approach him and respond to him. And they unfold step by step in the narrative. The first miracle, you recall, is one where he made a leper clean. What do we see about Jesus there? Well, he's acting like the boss in God's world, making the unclean clean. And he's revealing this by doing this amazing miracle. And, how, and what do we see about how we come to him? Well, in our natural state, we are unclean because of sin. That's the real uncleanness. But we should come to him like the leper. We should come to him humbly, kneel before him in worship. We should come in faith, believing that Jesus really can make us clean. For Jesus can and will make the unclean clean. And then the second miracle, which we saw last week, was how Jesus healed the servant of the centurion. Remember what we saw about Jesus there? Once again, his authority over sickness. And that was highlighted for us by the centurion who affirmed that Jesus can just say the word and his servant would be healed. Like God in the Old Testament, he could just speak and it would be done. And what did that show us about our approach to Jesus? Well, like the centurion, we should come to him humbly. We don't deserve to be in the great feast that Jesus referred to in that passage, on the king, at the, in the kingdom of God on the last day. We are unworthy. But no matter what our background, Jew or Gentile, we can be part of that feast by faith in Jesus. 
And so we need to come to Jesus in faith, recognizing our unworthiness and his authority. And now we come to the third and shortest miracle in this triad. In verse 14, Jesus enters Peter's house, which is at Capernaum. Now, just out of interest, archaeologists have actually located what is likely to be this house. Now, we can't be sure it's Peter's house, but Capernaum is a very small place, uh, and there is archaeological evidence that this house was considered the place uh, by local residents fairly early on. And I'll put an article, a link to an article about it in the sermon outline. Now, some of you might have actually already visited the place, but for the sake of the rest of us, let me just show you the place we're talking about. Uh, I'm just going to show some photos from Google Maps, so you can go and look yourself uh, later, uh, if you like. Now, the first one shows a map of Israel for context, uh, and you see the Sea of Galilee up north. Right? All the events of, uh, of Matthew 8 and 9 are in this region. And then in the next slide, we zoom in on the Sea of Galilee, uh, and we see Capernaum up in the north of that sea. Zooming in on Capernaum in the next slide, helps us to see that it's just a little village. On the next slide, we, we see that there was a synagogue there, uh, and in front of that, there is now a Roman Catholic church. Uh, going into street view, we see that church building uh, by the beautiful Galilean Sea. And you notice it's built on stilts. Why? Well, in our next slide, we see that actually it's built on top of the ruins of Peter's house. But that's okay, because in the last slide, we see that inside the church building, there is a glass floor that enables you to see the ruins of the house itself. Now, going back to our passage, Jesus enters Peter's house. And there he sees, in verse 14, Peter's mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. Now, nowadays, if someone has a fever, what do you do? You take a COVID RTK test, isn't it? Uh, and if it's not COVID, if it's not dengue, or a few other dangerous things, usually we don't worry so much. Uh, because nowadays, doctors have antibiotics to treat bacterial infections. But back in the first century, fever was a great deal. Right? There's no antibiotics and no treatment for many of the infectious diseases. So if you got a fever, that was a very dangerous thing. Right? Someone in bed with fever could very well be on their deathbed. Jesus sees Peter's mother-in-law with fever. She is lying there, helpless. As helpless as the unclean leper, as helpless as a centurion's servant. But once again, Jesus helps the helpless as he demonstrates his authority. For in verse 15, he touches her hand and the fever leaves her. Now, it's interesting as we read this passage to not, not only what Matthew tells us, but what he doesn't tell us. He doesn't tell us if Jesus was asked to heal her or about any appeal that was made to him. We know from Mark, actually, that Jesus was told about her. And we know from Luke that they appealed to him to heal her. But that's not what Matthew wants to emphasize in this story. Matthew wants the emphasis to fall on what she did after he healed her. Because remember, Matthew already told us how the leper and the centurion approached Jesus. He didn't tell us how they responded in the end. Here he does the opposite. Because he's carefully selecting these incidents as examples for us. 
What the leper and the centurion do is to show us how to approach Jesus to save us. They're examples of faith. What Peter's mother-in-law does shows us how to respond when he does save us. Look how verse 15 ends. And she rose and began to serve him. Peter's mother-in-law rises from her deathbed and she begins to serve him. The new life and energy that he's given her, she in turn uses for his service. Which again is a wonderful model for us, isn't it? If you've been saved by Jesus, then dedicate your life to serving him. That seems to be the main point that Matthew wants us to take home from this little part. And we'll come back to that shortly. But in the meantime, Matthew finishes off this section with a summary of Jesus' activities and an explanation for them. Verse 16. That evening they brought to Jesus many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. Right? The healings that we've seen so far are just three of many cases where Jesus healed the sick or drove out demons. He says that he drove out demons with a word. Right? All he had to do was issue the command and they're gone. No struggling or wrestling with them for hours and hours. I will talk more about demons in a few weeks' time uh, when we will see Jesus healing two demonized men. And notice that he healed all the sick. Right? Every last sick person who was brought to Jesus was healed. Right? Not 5%, not 10%, not even 50%. 100% all. And why did he do this? Verse 17. This is to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Now the passage in Isaiah that uh, Matthew is pointing back to is Isaiah 53. We read that in our Old Testament reading earlier. It's written 600 years before this. It's about the servant of the Lord who, who would come to, to suffer and die for the sins of God's people. Now, as we read Isaiah, we can see actually very clearly that the suffering servant will take the punishment for our sins. Uh, and because of that, we will be justified, declared not guilty, and he would live and be exalted. So where does this healing coming from? Well, in Isaiah 53.4, where it says he has borne our griefs, the word there includes suffering, sickness, afflictions, illness, wounds. And so Matthew is highlighting one aspect of Jesus' work here. Isaiah 53.5 also says, With his stripes or his wounds we are healed, or repaired, or mended, or restored. In other words, the work of Jesus on the cross not only deals with our sins, but the consequences of our sins. On the cross, he would bear our sins, the sins of all God's people. The Holy One would take our uncleanness so that we would be cleansed from our sin. The perfect man would bear the sin of fallen man. And he would experience in his body all the punishment that our sin deserves. And because of his suffering and death on the cross, those who trust in him will be forgiven. But we're not just forgiven of our sins. We are also promised new life in God's kingdom where all the consequences of sin will be done away with forever. And that includes sickness and death. 
And so God promises in Revelation 21 that the day will come when we will be part of the new creation. And on that day, God says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So brothers and sisters, on that last day, when we stand with Jesus in his kingdom, in the new heaven and new earth, our healing will be complete. For sickness and suffering are part of the effects of sin, part of the curse of sin upon our world. And Jesus in his death has carried our sins, he's taken our judgment, and at the end of the age, those who belong to him, who have been forgiven by him, will be free from sin altogether, will be God's people in God's place, under God's blessing and rule, where there is no more death, no more mourning, no more sickness, no more demons. By his stripes, we are indeed healed. And when Jesus was doing these healings, he was giving people a little glimpse of this glorious future that was secured for them on the cross. A little taste of what it will be like in that kingdom. A picture of this great hope. And yes, he healed everyone. But even those healings on that day were not permanent, isn't it? These people eventually will get sick and die. But their healing was pointing as a sign, pointing forward to the real healing. They were the sign that he, the servant, was the one who would bring this greater healing about. That perfect healing in God's kingdom that lasts forever. When the healing of, of, all, crea the healing of all creation, where, where sin and all the effects of sin, including sickness, are, are gone completely, permanently. And through these stories, Matthew is also showing us how to approach Jesus for that ultimate healing and how to respond to him when he saves us. So friends, what does this mean for healing today? Well, of course, as God's children, we can pray for healing. Uh, and in many different ways, God can and does heal. Sometimes he may do so in wonderful ways. Sometimes he may do so repeatedly in some places for some reason. There may even be people who have been given a special gift of healing. All right, Paul mentions it in 1 Corinthians, but doesn't say much about it. So let us pray for healing where appropriate for ourselves and for each other. But let us remember where we are at in salvation history. We are not yet at the new creation. The kingdom has dawned in the coming of Jesus, but it has not yet come in all its fullness. God may heal in dramatic ways in response to our prayer, but on this side of the new creation, he may not. And so, my friends, let's be clear. The miracles of Jesus were quite unique. I don't know anyone who can heal everyone who was brought to them 100% like Jesus did. And I would, be, I would caution you to beware of anyone who claims they can. They're bluffing. Even the Apostle Paul had people in his team who were sick. The miracles we see Jesus doing in the Gospels show who he is and what he came to do. And they give us a model for coming to him and responding to him. So can we claim healing today based on Isaiah 53? Can we expect that? Well, let me say, we are to expect better, but not today, tomorrow. Because tomorrow, when Jesus returns, the whole of creation will be healed and renewed. As Jesus raised Peter's mother-in-law from her deathbed, he will raise us from the grave 
We will have new bodies which are not ravaged by the effects of sin. And in those perfected bodies, we will serve him forever. But that is not the promise for today. Today we suffer, today we pray. God in his kindness and mercy may heal us today, and when he does, we are profoundly thankful. But we expect it, we anticipate it, we have faith that it will come. Not today, but tomorrow. When the kingdom comes in all its fullness. In the meantime, what we believers wait for physically is already true of us spiritually. One day we'll be raised in our bodies, but today we've already been made alive with Christ. We've already been born again. We've already been forgiven. We have already been saved. Like Peter's mother-in-law, we were lying there helplessly. And Jesus has raised us up and given us new life. Which brings us back to this story, the main point of the Peter mother-in-law story. Imagine yourself like Peter's mother-in-law on your deathbed. And then God raises you up and gives you extra time. Extra time to serve Jesus. What will you do with it? Well, friends, in a sense, that is all of us, isn't it? Remember, we were dead in sin and God raised us and gave us new life. He's given us this new life, this, this extra time, if you like, in order to serve Him. To do the good works that He's prepared in advance for us to walk in. Sisters and brothers, the life we live is not our own. We've been saved to serve Jesus. Are you serving Jesus with the new life that he's given you? A young believer said to me the other day that their desire was really one day to be in a leadership position in a church or a Christian organization. But friends, that's, that's not what we're to aim for, is it? Our aim is to serve and the word, in fact, the word ministry simply means service. Don't seek greatness in human eyes. Don't seek recognition. Seek to serve the Lord Jesus. And the details of how you do that will come later. Because we don't know Peter's mother-in-law's name. As far as we know, she didn't do anything that people would consider spectacular. In fact, we don't even know how she served him. It's more likely that she served by preparing Jesus' dinner than by helping him cast out the demons afterwards. But we don't know. The important thing is not what she did or even who she was. The important thing is who she served. And that is what makes her model for us. And so friends, whether you preach the gospel to thousands of people or you teach a small group of little ones in kids' church, or you check people in when they come to church with the SOPs, or you wash the dishes after growth group. The really important thing is who you are serving. Not serving yourself, not serving your boss, you're not serving your leader, you're serving Jesus. Don't waste the extra time God has given you. 
Look to see how you can serve. At work, at home, in the church community, serve the Lord Jesus who saved you. If you've been saved, you've been saved to serve. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that the Lord Jesus has died for us. And thank you that through his death, he has purchased us for us that, that ultimate healing that we will enjoy in the new creation. We pray that you help us now as we wait for that to come, to keep loving him and trusting him. We pray that, uh, we, we thank you that, that, that the day will come that he will raise us from physical death, and, and we thank you that he has actually already raised us from spiritual death. Thank you for this new life that he has given to us. And please help us to use this new life to serve him. And help us each to work out how we can be doing that in our own way. We ask this, Lord, in his name. Amen.